You know what the quickest way to ensure your students won't read Shakespeare? Assign it. Assign it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I do. I think that's a yop moment right there. Here's what yop means. Jojo may be a little guy, but his voice is the one that eventually saves the who's. The lad cleared his throat and shouted out yop. Jojo's shout represents even the littlest and smallest thing can make a big difference, even if you don't believe that it will. I have no competition. I only have potential collaborators. It's a different mindset. And my mission is to bring joy back into education and remind educators why they do what they do. Hey, Danny. Yeah, well, I always start off every interview with uh, sending people the wrong Zoom link. That's my specialty. Right? It says, Tim Clue inviting you to schedule. Interview Ed Yop, Danny Brassel, right? Oh, no. We are on. We are on if you've got the time. Great. I'm going to admit and uh, submit. I feel like it's been a decade ago when you just walked up to me and you said, hey, you're Tim Clue. And you've just been a, a very... Uh, You've just been a great mentor, a teacher to me, let alone our nation's struggling kids, teaching them how to read, being a guidance counselor for our mind, more or less. So I just want to thank you for that right up top. And don't say anything, okay? Because I just want to thank you. Thank I'll you. accept it and just say thank you for that. I appreciate yeah. it. I, I really mean that. But in all honesty, Danny, you and I, we kind of do the same thing for a living, kind of, sort of. And I've never quite figured out what it is that I do. So would you please just explain to me what it is that I do so people can understand what you do? You and I are in the same business. We're here to remind educators why they do what they do by getting them to take their job seriously without taking themselves seriously. Wait, 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 wait. Can I co-opt and steal most of what you're you're giving me here for my next presentation? Is that- you're not stealing, you're liberating it. You're liberating it. See? You are the, that's what's so amazing about you. You are the most open sourced human being I have ever met. So, okay, anyway, go on. Keep explaining. Uh, I, I cut you off. That, by no. the way, is that a bad trait in uh, starting your podcast when you just cut off the person you're interviewing all the time? Not at all. That works. That works for me. I mean, that's actually the reason I have a podcast, isn't it? Is to get people on and give your own viewpoints. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Ring the bell. I'm a person not built of many fears and anxieties, as you know, but my greatest fear is that this is going to uh, deteriorate into a five-part series entitled Random Rage and Riffs about every thought I ever had about classroom teachers and our structurally struggling educational system with super teacher Danny Brassel. That's my fear and the topic introduction. Does that work? It works. We can just continue. Our, I, I think the last time we were talking, we were having a buffet at... Uh, a casino in Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> yes, that that somehow seems like a metaphor for discussing the stress and trauma of teachers' education in our nation's readers, doesn't it? Well, like a buffet, there's a smorgasbord of ideas out there, so we can uh, dig into whatever you want. All right, Danny, here's the deal. I'm going to put you through kind of a speed round set of FAQs to more or easily and cheesily just not have to introduce you. Are you okay with that? Great, we're going to do this James Lipton style. All right, actor studio, here we go. It is, it's actor studio, but um, on an overdose of Adderall. Are you? All right, sounds good. All right. Where teach? I taught in Compton in, in South Central Los Angeles. How long teach? Over 20 years. What teach? All age levels. My favorite, though, if I were to be honest, is the little ones because uh, they don't know what they can't do yet. And they say amazing things every single day. I know our listeners already have learned that your passion is being one of our nation's leaders for readers. A few quickies on your idiosyncratic relationship 
with books, crimp, dog ear, fold, or book marker? Book marker. I have, I, but you know me, I have uh, my whole marketing is on my bookmark. So that's why I use bookmarks. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I love a good bookmark. I just lose them all the time. So I, I actually do both. I, I bookmark crimp and fold books that I read uh, look like they've been uh, chewed through by a pit bull. Well, mine, I have to buy them because I'm horrible. I write in books and I-, I Oh, wait, talk. wait. That was one of my questions. Books, pencil, highlight, circle, underline, or do you consider markings a defiling and a desecration of the artist's work? There, that was the- There you go. That was yeah, the long it's because of my father. My father was a librarian and he thinks anybody that writes in a book should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And so- uh, <laughs> I, I've written in all of my books and it's horrible habit. But here's the explanation for that, Tim, is I'm always looking for good anecdotes and facts. And so when I find something after I'm done reading a book, yes. I always take pictures of all those pages and I have a whole file on my computer of all those uh, interesting facts. I think my last fast pass questions, which they're not fast anymore, but it's okay, was uh, any library book that has yet to make it back to its home? Well, my, my father was a public librarian, and so he usually just would bring the books to me because I, I hated the public library growing up, Tim. I mean, they, it always smelled funny to me. The furniture was uncomfortable. Are we getting therapeutic here? Is this a father? Yeah, yeah, no. A father's there always, son? There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. And there's always some freaky homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out in the public library. I always hated it growing up. Is that, dare I say an extended metaphor for our challenged relationship with getting kids excited about reading, into reading, because it, it almost has this, let's just say, one way to play methodology. I think it prepared me on how to work with kids that hate reading because I was that kid and I knew every trick in the book. I mean, I used to always watch the movies to do my book reports and it wasn't until I had... Uh, Will Hobbs was my seventh grade reading teacher. He's now a best-selling young adult author, but Will was the first guy to get me interested in reading. He had about 5,000 books in his classroom, and every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading, and the rest of the 50-minute period, we read. Whenever we finished a book, we'd go up to Mr. Hobbs. He'd put down the book he was reading. He'd ask us about three or four questions, and if he was satisfied with our answers, he gave us a point. Every, every book up to 200 pages is worth one point. Every extra 100 pages is worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A. And the top five point totals had their names written on the wall. And I wanted my name written on that wall. So of course 20, you did. Of course you did. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500-page book. Four-point book. Also an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. And I didn't really feel like reading a 500-page book. So I took the book up to Mr. Hobbs. He asked me four questions. And I learned a valuable lesson that day, Tim. Uh, books ain't always like the movies. And <laughs> Mr. Hobbs gave me the four points. And that lear I learned a great teaching strategy. Guilt works because I read every word of every page of every book from that point forward. I wound up with 44 points. Went well above and beyond what I had to do. He, That's what got me into reading when i was a child the saints and the martyrs would sit by my side in sweet company do you want to talk about the uh, sad facts about where boys are and uh, massively behind in education compared to the, the amazing and necessary progress we've we, we've made with our girls which 
is is fantastic. But more girls are going to college than boys now, and so on and so on. You know, when I started teaching uh, little ones, Tim, I really wondered how our entire um, gender has even evolved. Because the more I worked with boys, I'm like, please just give me girls. Girls are so much brighter than boys. Right? I mean, one of the lines that I say in one of my presentations, I actually had to cut it because English teachers wanted to talk to me and debate me after the presentation. I said, well, you know what the quickest way to ensure your students won't read Shakespeare or go see a Shakespeare play? Assign it. Assign it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I, had to, I actually had to stop saying that because... You could just see that I was tipping over the apple cart. But that is such an important, I I think that's a yacht moment right there. I mean, how are you helping teachers recreate a new way to engage? There's so much bureaucracy and mandates that are being forced on teachers. I made a decision. I said, you know what? If I'm going down, I'm going down my way. We're going to have fun in this classroom. So I, I shut my door every single day and I'm like, kids, Average adult lasts 15 times a day. The average kindergartner lasts 300 times a day. Your job is to make me laugh 315 times today. And the kids get, ooh, ooh, they're keeping track and everything. And I love that. I, I wrote it in an email today. I said, hey, do you have to go to school today or do you get to go to school? Turn your have to into a get to. Isn't that the central thing we're working on right now? Absolutely. It's the same thing with, uh, I used to tell the kids, if, if you're not making 25 mistakes every day, why are you here? We, we need to start glorifying the mistakes and celebrating them all the time. I'm like, that's great. Every time you make a mistake, it's getting you closer to the answer. And it's even better when you fail publicly because a lot of your mistakes help other people who are thinking the same mistake and then they figure out the actual solution based on That's where we get progress. Now, and there's another great moment, that idea of community of mistakes and reinvention mm -hmm. and shared compassion for each other's flaws. And I, I, you know what I like? You know what word I use now? I don't call it failing up because I don't think um, organically anybody wants to fail. And I think there's a, you know, you can't tell a third grader, hey, you know, great job, keep missing that shot. You're going to enjoy yourself, <laughs> right? But you can flail. You can flail up. Mm -hmm. And 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 that is the attempt to just right lean in, move, share. That's brilliant. What you're talking about is that that community of reinvention. You know, that idea of getting out of a great teacher's way. I, that's what I thats what I took from what you were talking about. Absolutely. Watch uh, Sarah Blakely. She's a great speaker. She's the inventor of Spanx. She's, uh, at the time, she was the youngest self-made female billionaire on the planet. And that's what she said her dad always used to do is every night at dinner, he'd go around the table and ask all of the kids what they failed at. And they'd all celebrate. Oh, that's great that you failed. You tried that and you failed. I mean... I want to give permission to all of my students to try extraordinary things. Anybody can fill in a worksheet, you know, that's robotic. Uh, I want my kids to actually enjoy themselves and think critically. Frank McCourt, great Irish author of Teacher Man and, um, you know, uh, an individual posthumously who brought to our attention this quote I'm about to share with you. And it is our yacht moment for today. And it's what you're talking about. He says, teaching is an art, an intricate mosaic of challenge and response, an intricate mosaic of challenge and response. And then here you are telling, get out of the teacher's way, leave them alone. I think that teachers are paid like artists. They're like starving artists instead of celebrated rock stars. Yeah, isn't it interesting that kids that are practicing ah, bleh, bleh, do well on tests that ask them, 
<laughs> but that has no practical application. I love that you use Frank McCord as your example. Uh, he submitted Angela's Ashes to over 800 publishers that rejected that manuscript. It wound up winning the Pulitzer Prize. Then he, he gave us Teacher Man, which is a wonderful book. Uh, there's a great story in that book about uh, his high school students were always forging notes from their parents. And rather than uh, yell at them for falsifying notes, he's like, oh, this is great writing. This is brilliant writing. I mean, you're writing all these incredible excuses. And so he's like, okay, so now I'm God and you have to write me, you're Adam and Eve and you have to write me an excuse on why you ate the forbidden fruit. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden kids that weren't writing would start writing all these excuse letters for him. and. Like, that's a brilliant teacher. He took the energy of his class and figured out a way to use that energy in a positive light. So wonderful example. I love Frank McCord. As a dyslexic, I tell my students on the first day, I'm a uh, habitual and committed misspeller. And you are going to help me get better scores in Scrabble by correcting them. And that's another just simple, feeble way to create community and reinvention of flailing up. I want to talk of the consequence of speech as formed in the mouth or walked on the beach. How to read is the, we got to talk about that, right? Sometimes the way one kid reads may be a completely different way another kid reads. And I know that you speak to that so brilliantly. So uh, dyslexics process information better with their ears than with their eyes. And so one of the best ways to work with dyslexics is to listen to audiobooks. And so one of my favorite apps is Libby, which gives you free access to audiobooks at any public library. I actually have my daughter who's in seventh grade and she um, manages far more eloquently than I her own uh, learning challenges and neurodiversity because she benefited, of course, from the science of reading. That said, she not only uses the audiobook to listen to, but she will read along with it. She likes to do both. Perfect. I mean, that. Right. That's a superconductor to the mind, along with texting and uh, singing along with her favorite dirty YouTube songs. That's the other way she learned how to read. Nothing better than provocative karaoke. <laughs> how does comedy inform not just your presentation skills, which are amazing, but when you were teaching, how did that inform the way you handled kids in the classroom. I love the kids. I miss the kids. I had a whole notebook because the kids gave me so much material every every day. I was teaching fifth grade. That was one of my favorite fifth graders, obnoxious kid, uh, Jose. Everybody else had a problem with Jose. I always thought he was great. I'm like, Jose's just smarter than the rest of us. He doesn't care about school. And uh, <laughs> I loved Jose. He One day we were reviewing like um, the abbreviations for all 50 states. And uh, he told me to point to my my head and say the abbreviation for Montana. And so I point to my head and say, empty. Hello, <laughs> thank you. I'm like, Jose, you're great. <laughs> that was fantastic. You, you got the joke. That's all that matters. You know? I'll, I'll tell you, okay, here's the stupidest thing I ever said as a teacher. I'm gonna tell you this right now. This is very important for all teachers out there. The, the stupidest thing I ever said as a teacher is the very first day I, I taught kindergarten, I said, all right, kids, line up. <laughs> I mean, my kids were all over the place running around. By the end of my first week teaching kindergarten, I sounded like a cop reading Miranda rights. That's like kittens on catnip chasing lasers. I'm like, hey, kids, stand behind your desk with your hands behind your head. We will line. I mean, it was ridiculous. Oh, God. 
I realize that is something that we do. We we, we do try to uh, reduce the cortisol in the room so <laughs> teachers can get to their that special place and space where they can become artists, right? Well, it's depressing, Tim, that so many uh, educators are bagged on all the time. We're losing our best and our brightest because we try to blame everything in society on public school teachers and uh, private school teachers and charter school teachers and all the administrators. And these people have a really tough job and it's actually now a dangerous job. I've been pointing out to people that we lost more students and teachers last year in mass shootings than we lost US troops abroad in 2020 and 2021. It's, um... It's so crazy. I need to take a moment and uh, I'm going to, I need to get a safe space and a compression blanket. No, absolutely. Me too. Well, and don't, don't you feel like that's what we're doing for our nation's teachers? We're trying to put a compression blanket on all of them and it's, uh, we don't have a blanket large enough. Well, every time somebody has a problem, they decide to add it to the curriculum. And I, I go to so many school districts where I actually add up the minutes of what you're supposed to teach and add up the minutes of how long you have to teach it. And they expect you to teach more than with, with what the time you actually have. It's not easy. Um, I think you and I are both uh, formed from the teacher that we never had yeah. and the teacher that we became. This idea that you're touching on so deeply, the idea of how competition sometimes does not create a permanent curious mind mm. or a great reader or a great astrophysicist. I recall sitting next to him in sixth grade. Remember the old SRA cards, the gradated colors? I never got past yellow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a brown and orange. I think my high water mark was a maroon, uh, but it was a muted maroon. I have the same, you know, uh, the only way I ever kept up with my friend Dave, who was, you know, eventually our valedictorian, was I sat next to Dave. <laughs> That's how I got into the maroon category and got out of the orange and brown. But we don't formally use SRA, but I feel like the competition inside the classroom is still almost as invasive. How do we do what Frank McCourt says here? And, and that is his deepest criticism of the educational system is that it's all based on the notion of competition. I think that if you could teach people to be non-competitive in the educational process, there would be a different kind of human. Thank you, Frank McCourt. Hi. Thank you, Frank McCourt. Yeah, he was a wonderful speaker, too. I loved him. Uh, but it's it's kind of like the conversations you and I have had, Tim, is I always, I have no competition. I only have potential collaborators. It's a different mindset. You know, there's a scarcity mindset for some people, and there's an abundance mindset. I've been blessed to have lots of wonderful mentors that gave me an abundance mindset. One of my mentors, Barbara Sher, I don't know if she's still alive, but she's a wonderful person. Because of her, when I'm stopped at a stoplight now, I realize there's a million dollars of vehicles surrounding me. And it's a different attitude. How do you start looking for, you know, this is the problem in society today is everybody wants to do the negative. And I, I, I choose, no, I'm, I'm keeping that at bay and I'm only focused on the positive. I, anybody can gripe about the problem. My entire focus is on solutions. I love the way you put things, Danny. It always, it always reminds me of why you do what you do and do it so well. Danny, the thing that I can't understand is how did we get so far away from something so central to, 
I, I don't think I exaggerate, but our development as a species, our, <laughs> right? I mean, how did we, how, how have we, are we losing the argument? Are we still in the arena, you know, as Roosevelt told us, battling bravely rather than standing outside and trying to be the great critiquer? I read voraciously. I love biographies and about famous people. I've never read the biography of the most famous pessimist in the history of the planet. Pessimism never gets you anywhere. Uh, the other thing, though, that is, is interesting, though, is that when you read biographies, there's one common element that most successful people have. Most of them dropped out of school. And that freaks me out. I'm like, what are we doing wrong in school? How can we how can we tackle that kid's interest and, and embrace it in a way? I mean, I was working with a ninth grade teacher recently, and I suggested to her, I'm like, rather than have your students do this worksheet, why don't you ask them to create a website and instead of spending 20 minutes on an activity they don't like, they'll spend 100 hours of their own free time creating something that they're really excited about. But we don't do that because it's it's tougher that way. You know, it's a whole lot easier to fill in bubbles than to actually get qualitative data and find out what the interests are of different. I mean, that's the thing is if you have 36 kids in your classroom, you got 36 completely different motivational and learning styles. This is why I love watching great teachers is they're able to adapt based on every single student. And those students change every single year. We know teachers are underpaid, underappreciated. They're depressed and probably undermedicated. But um, are we going to get through this time? And are we going to build, like other nations have, uh, legions of just great teachers, both in early education, all the way K through 12, and all the way to the ivory towers? Well, we have to lift people up. I mean, when I was in Japan, I was I spoke with this mother, and it was great because she, she introduced me to her three sons. And she's like, well, this son is a doctor, and this son is a lawyer. And this one, oh, oh, he is a teacher. I was like, wow. She held the teacher in the highest regard. And I'm going to correct you because you said I was a super teacher uh, and I'm not. I left. You know, all those people that are listening to this podcast. Oh, I get where you're going. Okay. Yeah, thank they're you. the super teachers. Thank they're you, the thank you for they pointing stuff. this out. I mean, I, I've always said that the best educators, they care about their kids. They build great relationships with their kids. And they're able to figure out, you know, kids are like automobiles. They all require their own type of gasoline, you know, and some kids are a little bit higher octane than others. Uh, but we don't know what's happening. I was blessed, Tim. I have a photograph of me when I was four years old wearing space boots, a Sandy Diego Charger jersey, a sheriff's badge and a fireman's helmet. I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer and firefighter. I mean, that's the world I grew up in. And I want all kids to grow up in a world like that, where they believe they can accomplish anything. Annie, I hope that more people get this and understand this, the simple point that these minds of all kinds, when we see that flicker of light, it sounds like a, a huge cliche, but because it, ha it happened to us, right? Someone stuck by us. They got our joke, right? They got the joke. Yep. And they clap back. They laugh back. Um, I heard something from a therapist. I won't say who, and I won't, I won't tell you that it's mine, okay? Uh, he reminded me, and uh, this is going to be bad for uh, both husbands and, and maybe wives too, but uh, anybody in a relationship of any kind. It, it takes five positives, apparently, and this ratio just devastates me to erase one negative. And why do I bring that up? Five positives to erase one negative. I know how your journey began in school, and it was similar to mine. I just want the teachers out there to think about what Dr. Brassel is talking about, this finding a connection, a key, a, a space and a place where 
you know, kids know that they're loved. They find joy in the journey. The geography is the a space in which they can travel through and find another place where they might want to go someday. But Danny, how do we fix a system that is far more focused on the red marks than the mark of a mind and a space and a place where a kid finds a place to fit and not quit? How do we unred mark the institutionalization that separates so many kids from their potential? Every teacher has a job every single day. They, they have a decision to make. Are they going to be Darth Vader or are they going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi? Are you going to be the light or the darkness? And I choose to be the light every day. Even if we don't accomplish any of our educational objectives every single day, what I definitely want to make sure is I'm getting into their minds. You can do anything you want to do. Great things are done every single day. I mean, here, I'll give you a great example. This is one of the best lessons I ever learned. When I was in second grade, Miss Hess was my, my second grade teacher in Iowa Falls, Iowa. And one day she held up a pencil and she asked us to raise our hands if we could see the pencil. All of us raised our hands and she said, good. She's like, now get out of your seats. We all get out of our seats. And she, she's like, come to the door with me. We all go to the door and she's like, raise your hand if you can see the exit sign at the end of the hallway. And all of us raised our hands and she's like, good, come with me. So she takes us out to the playground. She's like, raise your hand if you can see that house across the street. And all of us raise our hands and she's like, good. She's like, this is gonna be a tough one. Raise your hand if you can see the water tower five blocks away. And all of us raised our hands and she says, good. And she's like, okay, this is an important question. How far can you see? And one little girl's like, I can see a mile. And I'm like, I can see two miles. And one kid's like, I can see four miles. And she's like, good. She's like, look up. And we all look up. And she's like, raise your hand if you can see the sun. And all of us raise our hands. And she's like, good. Did you know the sun is 92.9 million miles away? And the farthest you thought you could see is only four miles. Mm. All of you are grossly underestimating what you're capable of. And I'll never forget that lesson. All of us can do a lot more than we think we can. When I was little, I used to think I could fall asleep with my arm straight up in the air. Danny, I, I love how you point to bravely nudge and prompt educators to trust what they are doing right. Mm. So to every kid that's looked at the sun and thought it was only four miles away, thank you for uh, being a part of this amazing experience. And my only second podcast to date. So, you know, th this might be, you know. This might be it. <laughs> yeah, this might be it. So. Tim, I just want to thank you for being an encourager for so many of our heroes in the teaching trenches out there. It's, it's, it's tough, but uh, there is light, and I've always been an optimist. I mean, uh, amazing people emerge every single day, and uh, that's the reason all of us become teachers is, hey, maybe I'm a teacher and the next Oprah's in my classroom or the next president of the United States in my classroom or the next really good parent is in my classroom. And I had something to do with that. So thanks for all that you do. Thank you, Danny Brassel. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, we did it. I mean, it's uh, we're heading into news, clues, edyop, and review. What's well, not new? It's not new news clues. What are you new? What? No, it's it, we, it's the second time we've done it, so it's not new. It's the edyop review number two. There, that's oh, what. Okay. Edyop review number two. Okay. But before we do that, we have to do our thank yous, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to thank that voice right there, uh, uh, my partner in life and in strife, uh, <laughs> producer, editor, and and technical guru, Catherine Lake. There you are. Say, say you're welcome. You're welcome. There you go. Uh, we got to thank Sons of the Never Wrong for their truly inspiring uh, music that they offer. Uh, it's, it's inspirational because it's beautiful, but it's also free. That that's in, <laughs> that's, that's, in, that's, in, that's key and like, free key. It's a free. It's a free key. Okay, and then. Of course, we're uh, we're going to thank uh, Mr. Danny Brasso, LOL educator, leader of readers of her minds of all kinds. I mean, this guy is a postulate palooza, an inspirational, warm chocolate chip cookie, <laughs> tea of piglet, Tao of poo possibilities for any educator who's out there struggling or doubting themselves. You needed to be picked me up and brought home. That guy, I mean, he did it for me. I hope he did it for you, too. There, I, I did all my thank yous, right? Uh, I think you're good. We're going to review again. Ed Yop are those moments and voices that are ready to pop and can't be stopped. And if you need to read Horton Hears a Who to figure it out, go do it. Okay, here we go. Danny Brassel, Ed Yop moment number one. Teachers, trust yourself. Hear that Geiger counter of the ways that you lead your students to find their own precious metal. Mm. And that's a double entendre, metal <laughs> and, and metals. It's good. I like it. Thank you. I mean, Danny spoke so brilliantly to that. Ed Yacht moment number two. Oh, gosh, this just killed me. When Danny said, invite students to make you laugh, right? And that just speaks to the joy of connection and the power of collaboration and community and teaching. That That's embedded. And when you ask students to make you laugh, that's just a pivot. That's... Uh, it's simple, but it's powerful. It's not Ed, even an invitation. It was a challenge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and Ed Yacht moment number three, my favorite perhaps, and that is the, the, the power and possibility and progress of the community of mistakes. Mm. To, to be powerful in your public failing and to share it well because your mistake is somebody else's success. Or maybe... Learning moment. A learning moment, right. yes. Uh, it, in other words, you're the sparrow that's not going to hit the window the second time. <laughs> the first sparrow, you know, like... When the second sparrow's like, wait a minute. I don't... I don't Horrible. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veer left. <laughs> okay. And my fourth, you know, Edyat moment for me after listening to this, and I, th- I think you had the same reaction, is that, you know, inspiration is a thing. It is a thing. And what's so amazing about it is it's only there when you know it's there and I hope as we wrap up this uh, uh, this final podcast final podcast I'm ending the show it's my number two Aww. and I'm, I'm it's over that's too bad that's too bad I'm well just you know to it. <laughs> that's good no as we, as we as we as we wrap up our edgy moment in review think to yourself what is it that you do to trap your precious moments of glimmer, those precious moments of inspiration, so you can keep rolling and keep motivating your students? And that's that idea of happy, healthy teachers make for happy, healthy students. There. Okay. Thank you, Danny Brazel. Thank you, Catherine Lake. Thank you, Sons of the Never Wrong. I think, I think my gosh, we, we better be done. Right? For now. Yeah, okay. Wow. Did you think that went well? Yeah. Well, a crazy woman and an erotic man. Should never, ever, ever make a wedding plan. 
And a wistful day and a night on earth Make a poor man sit and contemplate what it's all worth Well, maybe, just maybe you should dance with me Maybe, just maybe you should dance with me You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.